Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of HashiCast. We have Anton Mavanka, CEO of BetaJob, on the show today. I'd also like to introduce a new host, Cole Morrison. He's the new developer advocate on the team, and you'll hear from him on occasion. Now, before we get started, I'd like for Anton and Cole to introduce themselves. Uh, we'll start with Cole, and then we'll move to Anton. Hey, hey. I am Cole Morrison. I am that developer advocate that Rosemary mentioned, and uh, thanks for um, putting everything together, Rosemary. What you don't see in the background is that uh, she is doing all the technical stuff here and, and helping make this come alive. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. My name is uh, Anton Babienka, and uh, uh, well, I think the reason why you guys invited me is because I have something to uh, to say about things which you guys develop. So in short, I'm CEO of a company called BetterJob. And uh, for last uh, more than five years, I've been uh, specializing in infrastructure as code, Terraform, AWS, and uh, well, a bunch of different technologies in between. So I'm looking forward to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Anton. And uh, well, now we've got everyone introduced, right? We know we know uh, Rosemary, if you, if you all are regular listeners. And then Anton, beyond beyond anything, let's just let's not be coy here. If you're in the Terraform community, you know who Anton is. You've probably used his stuff. In fact, uh, the, the story I told Anton the other day was how like when I first got into uh, Terraform, I was using his modules all over the place without really knowing who he was. He was just this mysterious handle on the internet, this benefactor that just helped me out here. So uh, we wanted to get him on. And as Anton mentioned, you know, it's... Uh, we want to talk to him a little bit, you know, about the, the the infrastructure space and everything. But it was also just to to capture your journey, Anton, to see how you've gotten to where you are, um, both from skills perspective wise and also from a career perspective wise. Because you know, a lot of people that come into the community, they have those open source aspirations. I know our founder. Uh, uh, Mitchell Hashimoto has, has talked in his own talks about how he uh, had a lot of role models in the open source community. And so putting that out there, I think, is something uh, that can be important for others. So that's part of what we wanted to uh, capture. Any thoughts on that, Rosemary? Yeah, I think it's um, it's very interesting because how does someone even get involved in Terraform modules? <laughs> it's a very uh, niche thing if, unless you're in infrastructure's code or you're working as part of sort of the DevOps industry. And so, Anton, I'm curious today. What is your biography? Tell us of your story. How did you even end up in infrastructure as code in the first place? Well, I, I think it's quite easy to uh, to kind of figure out how I got into it. So approximately from uh, 2002, uh, three, four, uh, I started working. But then uh, I mean, in about 10 years, I figured out that actually I need to start uh, resell the same stuff over and over. And uh, then I figure out that uh, this is called Terraform modules. Uh, but uh, of course, I'm jumping many, many years in between. Uh, so <laughs> the short answer uh, to your question 
is I started just by accident. That's pretty much it. <laughs> as as many of us do, right? They you look back and you're like, oh wow, some of it was just serendipity, right? Uh, but yeah, that's that's you know we we've, we've talked a bit, and I know that there's quite a crisscross and you know uh, safari uh, to get to where you were. What you know, a lot of people know you for tech. They know you a lot for infrastructure. But prior to those days, uh, can we look back and see like what was happening? Uh, before tech was how much was there there like what was that spark that you're like hmm, i think i'm gonna track coding now i think this whole space is interesting uh well for me it started pretty much uh when i was about uh, seven years old um i had computer and i was not very social i mean talking to people <laughs> why i should talk to people if there is computer so uh, i I figure out that it's quite cool to uh, to just uh, type something, uh, execute it. I mean, see some encrypted error messages, repeat it again. So I think this was uh, uh, all day when I start learning C. Uh, I don't remember how old I was. About ten years. I think I got a teacher who came to my uh, home to teach me. And we were talking about uh, C and different structures there. It was quite cool, but I never realized uh, why I was doing it. Just a bit later, I figured out that, oh, that's something what I want to do pretty much all my life. So in total, I had about three different uh, like uh, directions where I wanted to, to go, like literally three. I wanted to be a software developer. I wanted to be a doctor. And I wanted to be... Uh, uh, and I want to teach people windsurf. That's pretty much three things which I wanted to do. Yeah, very different uh, things, but uh, uh, it seems that I, I found uh, coding, but I still like uh, windsurfing. That's that's amazing, Rosemary. I feel like you have some some thoughts on that. Your your, your reaction says so. I've never been windsurfing. I feel like. Uh, how, wait, now I'm just curious how you got into windsurfing. Did you just try it once and you, you started becoming interested in it? Was it like how you got into Terraform? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not really. It's not related. But uh, I was uh, uh, competing on different sailing events since I'm 10. And uh, I have, uh, what is it, candidate of Master of Sport uh, title. Uh, so I took a lot of different competitions in Ukraine. And then when I moved to Norway, I also took part in some. Uh, so I, I like uh, races very much. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's like uh, totally independent from computers. So when I'm doing one activity, I absolutely disconnect myself from the rest of activity. Uh, I remember that uh, when I was about uh, 12, 13 years old, uh, I was uh, away from computer for so long that I even forgot layout of keyboard. Uh, so completely forgot. And it took me a few days to remember how was it like, oh my God, I have to look into keys and figure out how to type words. So that was how much disconnected I was. I still try to be so disconnected. So I, I still take a lot of breaks, like one month or two months during the year. 
smart. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I guess the home keys coming back, especially at that age, can be something you forget. <laughs> yeah. So what what point at this this crossroads of three different directions were you like, all right, let's do the code thing? Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think it was uh, pretty early on that computers are fun and about uh, 2001, I realized that uh, there is such, no, actually before about 98, I realized that there is such thing related to computer, which is called internet, but it was accessible through dial-up. And uh, that's where I need to figure out how to get into dial-up because it was expensive and uh, I didn't have money. So I need to figure out how to get money. And that, that was about time when I start uh, applying for jobs. But the way how I applied for jobs was very uh, unusual and rather direct. And this is something what many people uh, still know that uh, I'm a very direct person. <laughs> uh, so my first job I got uh, as a copywriter on a uh, uh, gaming website where I was writing gaming news. Uh, and uh, I didn't quite understand what I was doing. But the point was that they uh, gave me uh, free uh, access to dial-up. So what I uh, did later is that I got this uh, username and password to dial-up and uh, sold it to my friends and uh, they paid me real money and uh, we just agreed to share it between us and it was unlimited and uh, it was quite good. So we shared it for a couple of years and after that I remember I received call from uh, uh, from the company who said like, oh, you you almost uh, made us bankrupt because you spent uh, so much uh, dial-up time and uh, they wanted me to pay it back, but obviously I didn't have any money. So the only thing which uh, we we could do that time was that uh, we just stopped using that one and we found another victim. So then I continued working for <laughs> for another ESP where I came to them and said like, guys, your website is so terrible, let me remake it. And they said, like, oh, but how much uh, do you want for that? I said, don't worry, I just need to dial-up username and password. And since they were ESP, uh, they didn't understand that this was catch. And again, I got username and password and sold it to my friends. And it was about uh, Fidonet and uh, BBS. Um, I mean, around that time, so 98 or 2001, around that time. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I clearly figured out that internet is fun uh, because there is so much uh, what you can do. So after making this strange website for a company, which actually was online for, I don't know, maybe four years after that, uh, then I went to work for, <clears throat> for some uh, church because they wanted to have also uh, different uh, materials uh, about religion uh, online. And since I knew what is HTML and CSS, uh, I also uh, got this job quite easily. So I was publishing some content online, uh, no problem. It was a very well-paid job that time. And yeah, so I, I, by that time, I already combined some uh, free internet, which I got from different places uh, with uh, actual, actual money, which were coming from the real place. So that was really... A, uh, beginning so it was about 2001 2002 yeah so then i figured out wow. that so there is no way to 
to do anything else than just uh, computers and programming and software development or system development, whatever. So it sounds like then you're obviously looking forward here to the days of infrastructure, which are, you know, middle all the way up to present. Your connection through this was initially through this uh, adventure with uh, your internet service providers, this original gaming website. But uh, <laughs> also it sounds like web technologies yeah. is was this first big intro. And I know that we've spoken about it before, like those web technologies that got you into it. You mentioned HTML, but, you know, what took you towards those and what specific technologies uh, had your interest at the time? I think well, you have a good me, story about it, Pearl, right? Yeah, well, it started uh, pretty much uh, that uh, static websites with HTML and CSS were rather boring. And then I realized that uh, there has to be some ways to program. So C CGI being, uh, was a thing that time. And uh, I bought a book about Pearl I was really lazy to read the text. I wanted to just type program, execute it somehow, and see what it does. So it took me a pretty long amount of time after I copied code from the book and tried to execute it, but it didn't work. And I was like uh, checking all lines, line by line, trying to understand what's going on. And then I, uh, I think after a couple of days, I just realized that, oh, that's a problem in the first line because... Uh, shebang sign uh, actually has to point to the location of uh, Perl. It's not a command. And before that, I thought like, oh, if it starts with a uh, hash sign, then it is a command. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's comment. I don't have to pay attention to this line. Let's hurry up, write in code. And I wrote like 20 lines of uh, code from the book. I was excited, but it didn't work. And then I thought, like, why well, Perl is so complicated? It's it's just bad language. Everything is miserable. And then uh, in about months or so, I uh, bought another book, which was about PHP. And I thought, like, oh, my God, PHP works so easy. You just type it inside of HTML, and magically it works after you refresh browser. So this was so cool. And uh, since that time, I didn't have so much uh, uh, love for Perl because this shebang sign was taken two days of my life. You know, they used to have an obfuscated Pearl contest. Like you used to yeah. have a, a competition uh, for people to just make really just very difficult to read Pearl code. And that's probably why most people don't like it very much. I think uh, Pearl and uh, C uh, usually win in these competitions because you can really write very obfuscated code in C as well. Uh, so m my journey with Perl was pretty short, but then I spent uh, about 15 years with PHP. And uh, one technology which definitely uh, got me uh, very far was Symfony. So I discovered Symfony framework in about uh, uh, 2009, and uh, I developed a couple of websites using it. And then I figured out that all my code, which I was writing before, uh, and I had about um, seven years of uh, developer experience, uh, was really bad. Because uh, I, uh, first of all, a previous version of PHP, which was uh, version 4, didn't have object-oriented constructs. Uh, everything was functional. And it was rather uh, hard to write something really nice. Uh, but even worse, I didn't know what does nice mean. 
So I, w- I was just uh, doing whatever was necessary to get certain job done. I pushed this code, I uploaded it somewhere or even send a zip archive to someone. And that's it. I never ever cared about uh, deployment. I didn't even understand what's going to happen with this code after I send it to somebody. And it was like this for a very long time uh, because I, did, I didn't even consider that this is going to be uh, interesting for me if I studied. So when I discovered Symfony, I realized that uh, there are a lot of people who are very skilled and very uh, very professional you know, um, uh, developers. So they knew how to use different features of language, how to make very powerful frameworks, uh, what does actually <clears throat> abstraction and different design patterns mean. So I studied it uh, very well uh, when I was using that framework. And uh, then I just uh, figured out that that's technology which I want to use. And uh, I picked uh, Symfony and then I took certification and met these people. And uh, well, that's exactly the time when I realized that uh, there has to be uh, a lot of potential with this technology. So for me, Symfony was first technology, which I bet pretty much 100% all my uh, career and I stopped uh, doing anything else, stopped developing my own framework uh, and start using uh, the one which was already very popular and uh, I learned it very well. And that was one of uh, technology which really uh, switched my vision uh, on what does uh, software development actually means. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of see two things there looking forward to where you are now. One, the software development playing a big part in how you develop the different modules and the different Terraform code infrastructures code stuff you do now, right? Coming from uh, a non-software development background into the uh, infrastructures code and how we're doing it nowadays, that's always kind of like, do I need to know programming, right? Maybe not, you don't necessarily need to know, but it's certainly, especially when you start creating abstractions like modules, goes a long way. The second thing I wanted to ask you about was, was this during this time, was this what got you into this, the community work you do nowadays, right? Like going to conferences, doing meetups, sharing what you know, is is this what got that started as well? Uh, I think it's a very good observation is that in fact, uh, a lot of uh, principles, a lot of uh, uh, even uh, patterns or design patterns, which are uh, well known inside of software development, are applicable pretty much hundred percent to what we do with uh, module development or infrastructure as code at large. We always try to uh, to think about those patterns and apply approximately ninety five percent of them. They lay very well. Uh, uh, to what we do with infrastructure as code using Terraform. Uh, and I remember when I started using Terraform, for me, this was uh, one of uh, uh, one of an answer, I-, I would say, when I was talking to somebody and uh, I saw some piece of code and I thought like, well, this is not the right way. But I didn't have very clear explanation why this is not the right way. So my default answer was like, well, but uh, there has to be uh, uh, not so many levels of abstractions, for example, or there has to be a single responsibility principle in place, uh, or uh, one of the most important one, uh, which uh, I want many people <laughs> to actually acknowledge, 
is uh, that module should uh, encapsulate uh, or should contain all of the complexity and uh, expose just uh, what is necessary to the outside world, to the user of this module. So these principles, uh, as well as pretty much everything what you can find in the books, can be uh, applied to Terraform and infrastructure as code. So I believe that uh, when people are working with modern technologies, it's really important that they uh, kind of don't think about, ah, this is uh, old technologies or old design principles, so I can disregard them because I'm just smartest person. No, take uh, some time, read those, understand them, and you will be much more uh, effective. I think one of the things that stands out to me is the number of folks I talk to who get into cloud infrastructure come from the data center infrastructure space. And a lot of these concepts and design patterns and principles don't necessarily apply to data center, right? It's not something you wouldn't necessarily say it, there is a factor to this, but you wouldn't say that plugging in a, a switch or configuring it over a serial port would necessarily, uh, you know, adhere to the principle of encapsulation, right? It's very, it's a very tactical um, approach that's very abs to a very abstract kind of concept. So you, it's interesting. You went from web technologies, web tooling into cloud infrastructure. How did you end up working on so many of the, I guess, what we would call infrastructure's code or configuration management tools today coming from a, a web tooling background? Uh, well, yeah, I think uh, um, uh, the, the first uh, kind of uh, thing which uh, I'd like to, uh, to mention is that, yes, in fact, uh, <laughs> a lot of people assume that if you are doing infrastructure as code or modern DevOps tool, you have been to data center half of your life. And uh, for me, that's not true. I've been to data center once. I got uh, called after that because it was so cold inside. And that's the only memories which I have about data center. Honestly, I, I don't know when people try to find uh, kind of confirmation in their wo words when they say like, oh, do you remember how we used to do this uh, 20 years ago? And my answer is always like, no, guys, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I jumped uh, directly from my uh, IntelliJ or from, uh, from uh, Eclipse, I think I was using that time, uh, where I was writing PHP into uh, Terminal, and I started uh, connecting to instances and figure out what is SSH. Uh, and I don't care about hardware at all. I still don't... Uh, don't have enough knowledge to talk to people about network and switches and how they connect all this stuff. So I think uh, it's actually quite good that uh, I have uh, software development experience instead of traditional uh, or uh, sysadmin background. Of course, it would be uh, not bad to know how to do SSH uh, kind of <laughs> automatically, but uh, I remember that I didn't know that. And I was picking up all of this knowledge just by doing it, uh, by reading books, different blog posts, talking to people, conferences, and all this stuff I picked up uh, just by doing. What was the question? That, that was how did you that. go from, oh yeah, how do I, I'm just curious how you went from PHP and Symfony to Terraform, AWS, because, uh, you know, at the time, I guess, uh, around the, the 2010s or so, right, that was when cloud, public cloud computing offerings started to grow 
and people started to get into it. That was my first exposure to public cloud offerings like AWS. So what about it stood out to you and what kind of tools were you using and what did you end up learning? Well, yeah, for me, I think it started approximately 2012 uh, when I was uh, hired to uh, to manage some infrastructure on AWS. Um, I don't really remember why we used uh, AWS in first place, but I had some experience. Uh, like I knew that oh, you can launch v- uh, VMs there somehow, and there is a three uh, service there. That's pretty much all what I knew. And uh, just by uh, having certain goal, what I need to do. I mean, I, I need to, uh, as a CTO, my responsibilities were to manage a bunch of developers and figure out what does deployment of an application actually mean. So that's exactly the time when I used to uh, to figure out uh, how to create infrastructure, what is load balancer, how they're connected to to the rest, uh, and it was pretty traditional, I would say, three-tier application, uh, but I used to do this uh, uh, pretty much ClickOps style in console, uh, and I used to feel the pain just by doing it uh, multiple times before I realized that, oh, there are some tools which can be used to automate it. So I find uh, around that time, I found Puppet and Chef. Uh, I clicked uh, around them. I think I spent maybe a couple of weeks uh, figuring out how to uh, how to set up uh, SSL in Puppet. Why and uh, then I figure out that, mean, no, that's a little bit too complicated. Like, there has to be well, something, I mean, guys, come on, something you just easier. click it around. So then I discovered CloudFormation. So and, it turned uh, out that uh, not everybody was of, able uh, to click it around. Even, uh, and that, there was uh, a concept called a reproduction or environment. I didn't even care about it. Like, come on, just click it somewhere here and there, and that's it. Uh, so that was a very, uh, kind of very direct style and Again, I was new to this position, but I had a uh, very clear uh, goal where I need to be. So I picked up tools uh, as I was progressing. And uh, around that time, I figured out that Ansible was uh, very useful. Uh, Ansible was one of the easiest tools which I picked up um, around that time, I think 2014, maybe. And uh, yeah, used it, figure out it, how to use it uh, quite nicely. And around that time, also about 2015, I figured out that Ansible can be connected to Packer because I also felt that, uh, oh, there is such thing called uh, machine images, so I need to somehow build them. Uh, I got significant amount of information from books uh, to actually understand not how to do it, but why to do it. Like, what does in- immutable infrastructure actually means? And uh, then I, after I talked to many people, I realized that, okay, that's the thing which uh, actually is going to stick for a long time. So I, I really enjoyed, actually, the concept that I can write something and I can kill it later and don't pay for it. Uh, for me, this was really, uh, the, I think, the starting point where I can go in the morning, uh, run something, and I will create a couple small things. Uh, for that time, I used uh, a little bit of CloudFormation, and I started feeling that uh, I'm not good with JSON. <laughs> so JSON was not my cup of tea at all. I mean, of course, I could write it, but 
I felt pretty much instantly that there has to be a better way. So I don't know, maybe in a couple of weeks, I figured out that there are frameworks written in different languages. Uh, so I used some of them, but still it was a little bit artificial. So it, it didn't move me uh, to the goal where I wanted to be. And I wanted to create this infrastructure much easier than I can do this in ClickOps. So I was really disappointed when AWS changed UI because my fingers remember where things were. And then AWS changed UI and now I have to click somewhere different places. So it was so bad. I mean, it was just <laughs> unexpectedly for me. So around yeah. that time, I also, yeah. Oh, go ahead. So a little bit later, I figured out that uh, um, there were all kind of CI/CD things, but it was not um, so interesting for me because around that time, uh, I also start to have a kind of different taste of uh, lazy tooling, which I call. So I like to use different tools, which I don't have to manage. And uh, I worked as a, a contractor or I have my uh, business where I went to companies and instead of me trying to push them like, hey guys, I will manage this solution for you or that solution for you. I, I simply told them like, let's kill uh, your Git server. Uh, let's move to GitHub. Let's kill Jenkins, move to CircleCI. And then guys, you will uh, be better off with uh, all of these managed solutions. And uh, similar uh, concepts, I, I start to, kind of, I, I still apply it uh, on my daily life where people ask me for, solution which I can simply sell to them, I always try to explain or figure out what do they actually want. A lot of people don't really understand what they want. So when they say like, oh, we need this and that, you ask like, why do you need this? And the uh, same happens uh, very often when you hear from people uh, who come to you and say like, oh, we've heard these awesome uh, things related to cloud. And you talk to them and figure out that, oh, they don't know anything about it. So it's probably not the best time for them to even consider it. Now we can replace World Cloud with Kubernetes, where everybody is saying like, oh, we need to go Kubernetes and we need to do this uh, like 24-7. Uh, and then you realize that there are just one and a half developer in the company. So probably it's not the best uh, option to, to do for them. Nice, nice. So it seems like then your your journey into infrastructure and cloud started as necessity. And then as you dug deeper into the whys and you got more connected with personal projects and then commercial projects, that's what really got the, got the taste for it to where you started doing it beyond just because you had to. And this all leads to taking us up to 2015. And this is when I assume you, the, your, uh, <laughs> your magnificence within the Terraform community began, right? This is where that, that journey began. Yes. Yeah, it started uh, uh, around that time. I think uh, my first uh, uh, involvement with Terraform was at the beginning of uh, 2015. And uh, then I figured out that I'm brave enough to uh, give talk, uh, which is still uh, one of the most popular talk on YouTube. I mean, by myself, <laughs> I'm on my category, uh, which is called uh, How to Manage Infrastructure as Code Using Terraform on AWS. So it's really broad topic, uh, but by that time I remember that I got a lot of positive feedback from people who were like, 
oh, we also have the same pain problems and we don't know how to do this. Uh, only like two, three years later, there started to appear comments from people who say like, oh, but this is wrong. Or why are you showing this old version of Terraform? Hey guys, it was 2015. <laughs> That's why. Uh, so yeah, around that time I started uh, uh, using Terraform. I soon discovered Terraform community modules. So I uh, sent an email to Paul Hinsey and asked him, uh, hey, Paul, how can I contribute my module uh, to this uh, Terraform community? And uh, uh, he uh, granted me uh, admin access pretty much instantly and said that I'm welcome. I was a little bit surprised because I didn't have uh, admin access before to any big organization. And I was like, oh my God, what does HashiCorp do? I mean, do they even know who they just invited? And uh, it took a few years for HashiCorp to realize what they did. <laughs> but I'm really thankful, uh, Paul, that uh, he just accepted. And uh, I, I pretty much instantly uh, figured out that, uh, well, we have a lot of uh, modules there, like uh, VPC and some RDS. Uh, which were created by different people. And uh, as more people start to use them, they start to ask questions. And uh, I remember clearly that when I was uh, just at the very beginning, around 2016, I uh, remember that I was answering these questions and I uh, always prefix my answers with, uh, hello guys, uh, I'm not developer of this module, but I think the solution is like this. And then uh, I figured out that, well, there are actually nobody who are replying. So why I should even prefix my answers with this uh, excuse? So all of my next question, next answers were like, uh, oh, I think you have to do this and this, or you have to use this and this parameter. Uh, and it was much more like uh, I took ownership of this stuff. Uh, so all 2016 and uh, 17 were like... Uh, uh, exploring different uh, things, what other people are doing, uh, trying to figure out different uh, established patterns. Some of those patterns uh, were good. Some of those patterns were uh, very new and uh, not so good. Uh, so I started uh, writing different blog posts about what does uh, actually a good Terraform module look like. Uh, so I think I wrote this article about uh, yeah, about 10 different things uh, like signs or uh, different um, features which good Terraform module have uh, in 2017. And I have to say that uh, I don't want to update this article because that article is still very much valid. I still believe that good uh, Terraform module uh, should not be doing way too much uh, and it should take care of its own scope, uh, different. Uh, uh, like there are a bunch of different things I don't remember right now, but it is still very applicable. And that's what I, was driving me uh, through my journey with uh, Terraform modules. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of getting into Terraform also came with 
the module ecosystem, which that was a wonderful story. I loved it. <laughs> uh, and you also mentioned your first talk because that's the other aspect that I wanted to, to touch on here was your community involvement, right? You said your first talk, you did your first talk. And from there, that has put forth a lot of other talks you've done, a lot of other content. And, you know, just would you would you mind going into that? Like what's what around the, that content drove you to do that in the first place? What gets you to, to do that now? And like when you're doing it, what are, what are usually the topics that you're trying to aim for that you think uh, that you enjoy writing about? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the most uh, exciting part is that around 2016, I figured out that that's technology which I want to bet uh, all my uh, career. So I immediately killed all of my uh, software development projects. I killed all of my symphony experiments uh, pretty much in one day. And uh, that's one thing which I like to do with uh, myself. If I stop doing something, I usually stop doing completely, like immediately in one day. Like for example, before New Year, I was drinking six cups of coffee. Now for more than a month, I didn't drink any cup of coffee, like completely. Uh, wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, talking about uh, community uh, involvement, I very clearly figured out that a lot of people have interest in uh, in these technologies. Uh, so my first talk, which I gave like internationally, was in Barcelona, and uh, I spoke about subject which was very interesting for me, pretty much uh, how to put Terraform in CI/CD pipeline. I have to admit this is one of the worst talk which I have ever given because I uh, talked about subject which I thought I understood, but even uh, how much, three, four years later, I still don't know even half of what I was talking about. And that's a little bit surprising to me because like, uh, when I first gave this talk, I thought like, oh, that's easy. You just put it here. You just... Uh, share state somewhere, then you somehow pass parameters between different environments, and that should be easier. Then I discovered a book by uh, Kiev Morris, uh, Infrastructure as Code, uh, which was like, well, uh, what, what he's even talking about? What kind of environment, immutable? I mean, come on, Kiev, you don't know what you're talking about. So uh, I, I thought that uh, there has to be uh, something very bad uh, missing what I what I completely skipped in my talk. And uh, about a couple of years later, I figured out that, oh yeah, that talk was a disaster. Although a lot of people uh, appreciated it. They just didn't like my green uh, text on yellow background, uh, but that's, well, that's life. <laughs> By the way, uh, listeners, I am cracking up right at that whole, that's such a good story. The things we do and we're, you know, in the past we look back on, it's like, oh man, what was I thinking? <laughs> I think that's the yeah. eternal uh, concern of a content generator, right? Like you, you generate the content and then even like a week or two later, you're like, no, this wasn't right. I don't think I got this correct. <laughs> um, yeah, so speaking of content, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so I just want to uh, kind of mention the way how I, uh, over years, figured out how to make uh, better content. Not great content, but better. So when, I, when I'm when i applying uh, to submit some talk, I usually have a distant uh, interest in the topic. So let's say I want to uh, become an uh, expert in 
let's say, how to deploy it in uh, AWS continuously, for example. And then closer to the talk itself, I start getting more and more involvement into this. So that the point is that when I actually present this, I already have uh, most of my information very fresh in my head. Then I don't need to remember slides. I don't need to remember how to explain certain things after what, because it is natural. It's for me like yesterday I was writing code or implementing this solution, and today I'm talking to the rest of people. So I usually try to uh, to focus uh, and present this talk just at, at the right moment. Uh, it has happened to me a couple times when I was talking about uh, Hack and Terraform for fun and profit, where I uh, looked into different uh, uh, kind of unexpected uh, use cases for Terraform. And uh, I asked uh, people at uh, Force them and a couple other conferences. And uh, in general, it was pretty good feedback. So I, I, I want to kind of to share this experience with many other people because I, I know some people struggle and they try to remember slides and they uh, try to learn it somehow. It never worked for me. I always deliver, let's say, Ignite Talks uh, where I did not uh, even read slides. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the best what I have. So I, I write them once, yeah. uh, read it, and that's it. So let's talk a little bit about what other things you're doing besides talks. You know, it's been a while since conferences uh, have gone in person. Um, yeah. So what are you up to? I know you have a newsletter, you have streams. Uh, what have you been working on and what will you be working on in the future? Uh, yeah, so when COVID started, I just decided to move all of my offline activities into, um, well, into online. So I started uh, making uh youtube live stream uh, every friday with live coding tools reviews um, again everything is related to terraform and then about half a year later uh, i talked uh, to ryan king uh, who created weekly tf and he said that he doesn't uh, have time to continue it so i said of course i have a lot of time so let me uh, let me help it uh, kind of let me help you to continued so he uh, he added me and now I that's that's pretty much how I ended in weekly TF uh, other than that uh, I have been developing um, pretty uh, interesting projects about infrastructure as code generation uh, from visual diagrams uh, created with some visual tool cloud uh, cloudcraft into terraform uh, then I made uh, serverless TF as a serverless, well, as a serverless framework for Terraform, because serverless framework, uh, which is official one, is very hard for me to understand, and I think they're doing a little bit too much. I mean, I, I have uh, just been using it and always thinking, why are we doing it so complicated? There has to be a better way. So it took me about two weeks to to figure out what actually do we want to do? Um, a few people are using it. Uh, I use it myself for many of my projects, but uh, a lot of people uh, don't see uh, a lot of potential there because, well, obviously I don't push it uh, further. I have uh, simply no, not enough time to do this. Uh, well, Terraform AWS modules has definitely taken a lot of time. 
uh, about 37 different modules and yeah terraform best practices is another piece of content which i uh, created in 2018 and then i was not updating it for quite some time because uh, i was just lazy or busy with other things and then uh, abel lopez uh, reached out to me approximately two months ago and said like, hey, I want to translate it to Spanish. I thought for a second, like, translate? What is it? I mean, do, do you want it to read in Spanish? I mean, come on, cannot you read it in English? And uh, he said that uh, that's a way to do. I said, cool, let me just uh, fix it and update it. So I updated from uh, 2018 to modern uh, things. I added a couple of things there fixed syntax and updated in general. And uh, he was uh, the guy who actually uh, um, kind of pushed this project further by just showing that, hey, it is possible to translate. And since that time, there were many people translating it into Indonesian, French, plus uh, now there are seven languages in progress as well. Mm. So people are translating it like crazy, uh, I have already prepared a gift for them. As soon as they finish, I will give them a small gift. So that's, uh, yeah, that's how it is. And in general, pretty much all projects which I have, like pre-commit Terraform, started from my own problem. So uh, I wanted to have uh, Terraform and Terragram code in good shape. Uh, I didn't understand what exactly does it mean, like, but I saw a couple tools uh, which can be used, why not? So I made that project. Uh, it seems to be quite popular right now. A lot of people are uh, using it in their project. So every time when we do some breaking change there, uh, we receive an issue from people uh, quite instantly where they say like, oh, you just broke our build. That's cool. That's why I don't believe in infrastructure testing as well. Like when, when people talk like, oh, we need to add Terra test. Come on, just uh, push it into master. There are a lot of users of Terraform AWS modules who don't pin version. You will break somebody's uh, CI/CD build in 10 minutes. And I guarantee this will be much more efficient way of fixing it instead of coming up with artificial test case and then try to do uh, try, try to figure out why this was a problem. For example, 10 minutes of or not 10 minutes, but uh, yeah, about 10 minutes of uh, downtime of uh, Terraform registry. Uh, it happens extremely seldom. But if it happens, then amount of uh, uh, amount of uh, issues and amount of upvotes on uh, certain Terraform AWS modules is skyrocketing. So, for example, IAM module was uh, affected by unavailable uh, Terraform registry uh, three months ago or so. And uh, it got uh, it got something like uh, 50 upvotes in 10 minutes. So you can imagine there are 180,000 of downloads of Terraform AWS modules per day. This is an amount of uh, information which I could get from uh, GitHub. So it's a lot of people who are using it. Um, so yeah, it, it takes a lot of time to manage these things. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, another thing, That's another, I, I want to just say the last thing, which is 
which takes my time right now is that uh, I want to, to continue to push Terraform uh, in the direction that uh, maybe we don't need TerraGrant. Uh, I've been using TerraGrant myself since 2016 or 17, and uh, I know it very well, but there are quite a lot of limitations in it. And uh, I want Terraform to just uh, improve in this direction so that we don't uh, need to struggle with these two technologies trying to uh, trying to connect them somehow or blame uh, one technology because it doesn't work well with another technology. So we can just continue improving Terraform. And that's what uh, I'm currently working on. I mean, in addition to 10 other projects. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's, and that's good. I mean, I know we all, we all, you know, root for the home team, right? But uh, part of rooting that for the home team is acknowledging strengths and weaknesses and the like. And thank you for sharing all of that, Anton. Something I wanted to ask before we transition to the outro is, you know, you've you've got a lot going on. You are juggling a lot, a lot of stuff. And for the other uh, developers, ops people out there that are looking to make, you know, because making your name in the open source community, there's a lot of benefit to it, you know, even beyond just the joy of doing it. It does a lot for you. But for, for people that want to come in and get involved in this, what, how, what type of advice can you give them if they want to juggle this many projects? How can they get this done without losing their mind and also without losing the quality that goes into all of them? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it depends uh, who is actually asking and which country are we talking about. Uh, uh, I got uh, most of uh, attention uh, when I was in Norway. Uh, I mean, most of attention to the open source or most of exposure to the open source when I live in Norway. And uh, the thing in Norway is that a lot of companies where I worked, they were very uh, reluctant to accept the idea that open source is going to survive and uh, why we should even uh, do anything in the open source. So... I was kind of uh, believing that uh, we need to be in open source for the first time. I'm against closed communities uh, where companies are sharing knowledge inside of company uh, for the sake of uh, just <laughs> sharing it within a company. So I always recommend people to go outside and participate in all kinds of events uh, where they want to learn something. So before I was uh, kind of... Uh, starting uh, learning infrastructure as code or DevOps, I was curious about all kinds of things related to uh, web, including uh, web development, front-end technologies, and different uh, uh, W3 standards, which are still amazing. Uh, artificial uh, intelligence or augmented reality was very interesting for me because before it became kind of available, uh, so I, I really recommend people to be very, very uh, open-minded and l look everywhere because you never know what kind of projects or what kind of solution uh, will be uh, most interesting for me, for you. Uh, and also don't hesitate to just start contributing to whatever you like. It can be easy fix or it can be documentation or it can be uh, answering uh, different people question in different projects. And uh, I can guarantee that if you be, will be doing this for some time, there will be an email in your inbox saying like, oh, I have seen that you are active in this project. Uh, would you like me to give you push access to this repository and you continue doing this 
uh, more. Uh, it has happened to me uh, m- multiple times where people say like, oh, we see that you are doing this stuff somewhere. Uh, can you also fix this issue uh, when you have time? Uh, I got a few projects and few customers specifically from an open source before I started working with Terraform because they saw uh, some libraries which I was developing in PHP and they said like, oh, we need to apply this stuff uh, in our project. I said, cool. So then uh, I will do this uh, as a library and make it available as open source and uh, you will benefit as well as other people. So open source is definitely easy way to uh, to show your uh, expertise. And it's quite easy to to kind of uh, get going. You don't have to spend eight hours a day doing it, uh, like me. <laughs> that, that, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's something I, f- I feel like a, in terms of getting into uh, open source, that that whole, I'm going to just wait. I'm going to wait to take action. I'm going to wait to be chosen or I'm going to wait for permission. Uh, and that's something that, that when you get into actively contributing, you have to understand, like you've just said, you need to put in the time and effort to show that you know what you're doing uh, before you're going to get to there. And I think that is something that's very important. Uh, that can go overlooked because, you know, we're all online. It's very easy to stand behind your anonymous username and uh, just kind of lurk. But your advice being, don't lurk. Contribute. Figure this stuff out. And that can go a long way in helping, which you can do alongside getting involved and in all the other stuff that you talked about. So, Rosemary, I believe you had a uh, final question for us. Yes, since we're nearing the end of, uh, of our wonderful talk here with Anton. I do. I have one final question for both of you, as is HashiCast tradition. This is a slightly less serious question. If you were a potato chip or crisp, if you prefer to say that uh, they are potato crisps, if you were a potato chip or crisp flavor, which one would you be and why? Now, Most people think that this is a favorite. We're not asking for favorites. We're asking you to become the potato chip or crisp flavor. Well, I don't actually like chips at all. So I don't expect people uh, to eat me. So I can be any kind of uh, chip. Universal flavoring. I guess you could be a plain, plain potato chip or crisp. I guess you know it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't I don't like to eat, and I never understood why people like it. But I mean, all my family loves it, so probably it's good. Uh, I think they. <laughs> what would your family say? Can, like, what would your what type of chip would your family say you are? Uh, with some ham, uh, with some pizza, some. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, def- definitely pepperoni. Pepperoni, I guess. Okay. All right. All so, right. so you'd be a pepperoni. So, all right. So maybe yeah. some pepperoni flavored chips. Okay, I can dig it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know, Rosemary. It's an interesting question. I feel like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a. My gut says Cooler Ranch Dorito only because I had so many of those with Mountain Dew growing up, which has probably had a very negative impact on my health uh, long run. But uh, <laughs> yeah, 
But, yeah, but now I'm kind of curious, what is your answer to this question, Rosemary? I would be a salt and vinegar chip because I'm kind of salty at times. And, you know, there's a little bit of vinegar. So, you know, a little bit of acidity. So sometimes I could be a little bit sharp. But the pairing of the two generally provides a, a, a holistically crispy chip. So the two surprisingly work, the two personality traits surprisingly work well together. Oh, that's cool. I told wow. you it was a ridiculous question. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. thank you so much, uh, Anton, for coming on and uh, chatting with us, sharing your journey. Uh, sharing us how you got into infrastructure, into community, and all the stuff that you've done. Thank you for all the work that you uh, do in open source. I know it's helped me a lot. It's helped everyone a lot. And, uh, you know, if you're interested on seeing more of, of Anton, his projects, what he's working on, make sure you follow him on Twitter and LinkedIn. So he posts there very regularly with some great content. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, Anton. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you and see you. I know that listeners will not see you, but I saw you. And believe me, guys, who are listening, they look great. <laughs> you as well, Anton. You as well. Thank you for listening to HashiCasts with your hosts, Cole Morrison and Rosemary Wong. Today's guest was Anton Babenko from Betajob. Be sure to tune in next time.